0: So I, I'm glad that uh, that has been validated <laughs> by, uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, now I sound smart.
1: Welcome to Rhythm Encounter episode 58. This episode is a primer on female game composers. Very excited to be here. I'm Hilary Andruff. I'm hosting today. And I have a lovely panel of ladies with me today. Alana Higgs. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. And Eva Padilla. Hey there. Hi. Good to talk to you both. You too. (laughs) Thank you for
0: having us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I know... We've had a lot of fun discussion behind the scenes going into this, so excited to share. As we begin, I just want to briefly explain the format, so we have our guests, and everyone has brought two songs today about this topic, and the full track list can be found on our site, rpgfan.com, if you want to follow along at any point when you're listening, and we're going to play the songs in blocks of two, and talk about them, and we're going to give a little bit of information about the composers along with the music, kind of give a good little background so if that all sounds good I'd like to start off really briefly and just ask you both what drew you to this episode oh my (laughs) I
2: suppose I think it's something it, it feels like a bit of a hidden secret that there are so many great female composers in the game industry less so nowadays I would say like the prominence of indie gaming and um Games like Celeste, which are composed by Lena Raine and um, games by The Chinese Room. So, oh gosh, um, Everyone's Gone to the Rapture by Jessica Curry. Um, I feel like there's more of a prominence now. I think a lot of people, people have their favorite games and they don't realize like, oh, you know, it's composed by this, you know, Mega Man is composed. Much of the best music in those early NES games are composed by a woman as well. Um, I don't have a name to hand right in front of me, but I will give it at the end of the episode probably uh, because I've got a few like Capcom and Konami names to give out because they're two of the biggest names in the mm-hmm. industry from the 80s and 90s, I think. And I think.
1: Right. Their early sound teams were prominently women.
2: Yeah. And I think we need to shout about that a little bit more and just really celebrate like we're doing work as well. And I'm sure everybody's aware and accepts that. But it feels like it's almost like when you look at lists of great composers and composers who have had arranged albums, it's almost all exclusively like your uematsu's and your mitsuda's and your uh, masashi hamao's and things like that so you know there's there's a big old big old pot here that we're gonna just kind of skim the surface on i think
1: yep and and that actually reminds me along with the show notes there will be a few articles if you're interested in further reading on any of these composers
0: Um, so be sure to check that out
1: and how about you eva
0: well i think for a lot of music and for a lot of games and movies as well, there's kind of this, there's this feeling of people not really recognizing um, women composers and not thinking of kind of the context that uh, they have for that. I in particular think about the shining and how a lot of the music was done by uh, Wendy Carlos, who was, you know, who's a trans woman who was just like, when you think of this, at least for me, when I think of The Shining, I think of sound design. Yeah. And, and I think that's something for music as well. You know, the first thing that I think about in a Mega Man game, especially in the early ones, is the music. When I think about Breath of the Wild, which we'll talk about in a bit, I think about the music. And so it's all of these things that there is just kind of, it's kind of glanced over. It's not talked about as much, And as Alana said, there is more recognition that, you know, we're here and we're working on this, that we're working on this and creating amazing music, but there can always be an episode of the show where we shout that out, right?
1: Yeah, agreed. I'm just to add to what you do have said, because you made some great points. I'm I'm also kind of looking at it as a celebration. I think some of the stuff I want to talk about and bring is just the variety of different themes and different music and different genres. That we're going to see today and just the various roles they've had too because we've got you know we've got women who compose and conduct we've got many women who play multiple instruments sing they, they do a lot of different things and they work with each other and with those super famous composers that you hear about first as well so just to kind of celebrate that yeah definitely well that's fantastic so without further delay now that we've kind of painted the background a little bit. It looks like Eva has the first pick and then one from Alana. So would you two like to introduce your first
0: songs? For sure. Uh, So the first one that we're going to be doing is uh, Change Your Way by Alicia Laverne, which is the ending theme from Persona 2, Eternal Punishment.
2: Oh, I love that so much! Um, it's so good. Something a little bit different, um, but a name you'll probably recognise. This is UB uh, or the Ultimate Being
1: from the Parasite Eve soundtrack, and this is composed by Yoko Shimomura. All right, so we'll be back after we've listened to some great R and B style music and dealt with a terrifying final boss battle. <laughs> All right. And we're back. So Eva, tell us a little bit about Change Your Way. I have a little bit of background, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah. So um, I had not heard this song up until a couple of months ago. And I love this song. It's so it's the ending theme to Persona to Eternal Punishment, which I have not played yet. But as you may have heard from a recent retro encounter, there are many of us on, on <laughs> staff who are very down to play that in the next few months. So, you know, you can look out for that. I love that this song is so late 90s, early 2000s R&B. Uh, <laughs> Hillary, you and I were joking about how this is so much like um, late 90s TLC. I was <laughs> yes, like, oh, this is, is no scrubs and like... <laughs> Unpretty, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it's, and I, I love it for that. I think it's such a strange choice that I haven't really seen in in a game like this special one from two decades ago
1: yeah it it's such an odd fit but i think it it really does fit just because it goes along with the shift in the persona series and we talked about this a little bit in our persona playlist retro episode but there was sort of a shift to like kind of more urban more modern a little bit more daily life social link kind of stuff um across the series and this kind of fits in with that if it's in With a lot of the other music in the game, too, too, because you have a bunch of map themes that sound like you're going around a city at night. So this kind of, I think, adds to the atmosphere a bit, although it's it's interesting that it wasn't on the original soundtrack, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Um, But it was released on Alicia Laverne's album on Cutting Edge Records in Japan. So it's kind of interesting that she did the song and her, she got an album release there. And according to her, it was inspired by some London experiences, just kind of witnessing and seeing the homeless around. And it's also kind of meant to echo Maya's motto throughout the game, which I think all the characters have mottos, but hers is about being positive.
2: Yeah, that kind of fits her character, even in this mm-hmm. Sin. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up the maps, because I, if I remember rightly, I was on that Persona playlist episode with you, Hillary, and you picked the map theme from Eternal I Punishment.
1: I, I picked map one. So songs from, I really like the Eternal Punishment soundtrack. So songs from that, that, that Alicia Laverne wove into this Change Your Way song, map one, map two, and Alba Park, oh. I think are the main ones. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's a bunch of tracks, which is really cool.
2: Yeah. This is really positive, and I think I'm glad you picked out, like, um, Maya's positive kind of attributes and the fact that her motto is all about being positive and uplifting. Because you tend to get, like, you know, the Tales series were doing, like, Japanese pop openings that were really upbeat, but most credit songs are not very... Especially in Persona. Like, Persona credit songs tend to be very reflective and emotional but this is very much like you know these are a bunch of kids who have reshaped destiny and changed the world literally and this is a song that is kind of celebrates that um but i think the most 90s i don't know i'm not as i on 90s um, early 2000s r&b as either of you are but like the thing that makes it that like late 90s gives it that late 90s feel for me is the acoustic guitar at the beginning i just love that opening mm-hmm. so much it gives it I don't know, it just makes it, it's such a light and peppy song.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's like hearing the plucking of the strings. Like, I think there are probably some nylon strings that they have there. Um, it gives it such a, it gives it such a clean sound where it's almost too, it it sounds almost too pure in a way. And I think that adds to, you know, the, the synth strings and, mm-hmm. um, and such of late, of that late 90s R&B sound it's yeah it's great I love this song
1: <laughs> and one other interesting phenomenon that I that I think this is kind of like an early example of is just kind of the way some artists over here are taking inspiration and now like sampling video game music in their and their songs are taking inspiration for some of these melodies that some of these female composers have written and that's really neat I was reading an interview with a DJ in the UK who was talking about like the top, not just one, but like the top video game soundtracks that they sampled. So it's kind of neat how it's a give and take. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And how these songs are like living on. Yeah.
2: That's really cool. I'd like to know who that is, all that interview, actually.
1: I'm going to, I think I'm going to put it in the. The reading, the articles. Oh, okay. I did not but a lot on it. Because I can't remember their name off the top of my head. <laughs> that's fine. All right, well, that's a great and unique contribution. I'm, I'm really happy because it kind of shows the range of music that we're going to have today. But let's move on to a totally different tone with you, <laughs> Um... Yeah, um, if you
2: can, I mean this this could have fit into the Halloween episode. So I'm sorry for disrupting yeah. the flow. know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, Yoko Shimomura should not be a surprise in this episode. Um, she's probably, I mean, she is the most well known female composer, isn't she? Like her time at working on Street Fighter in the early '90s, up to the Mario RPGs to Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy XV, like she's prolific and rightly so. But Parasite Eve soundtrack has always stood out to me for again, it's very grungy, very 90s, very synth-heavy, very electronic keyboard-heavy, and I've always had a real soft spot for it. Um, but UB is um an example for me of what I love about Shimon Moris music, and I think Shimamura may have composed three of my favorite final boss themes ever, with this being one of them. Um, and what I love about it is that UB is a four-stage boss fight at the end of the game, and it's literally an alien mutant child that evolves over the course of the fight into an adult alien-type thing. And the music has four sections to it that kind of mirror this evolution Um, the one constant throughout it is the chanting and I don't know where the chanting sampled from or pulled from um, but it's definitely got that really uncomfortable like ghostly humming or even religious humming like this is you can feel the gravity of the like weight of the situation and you can feel that this is an ultimate being like beyond Ayabria's power and like her ability to fight it um yeah and really the main thing i want to draw people's attention to i mean it's probably the most obvious part of the song um so this song's got four sections so at naught to 30, uh to 35 seconds it's just the chanting 35 seconds to 237 it's there's some percussion and some additional synth and drums come in to really build up the tension but it's the 237 mm-hmm. shift yep. <laughs> where the organs come in and like, we know Shimomura is an extremely versatile composer, but if there's one instrument that I associate with Shimomura other than a piano, it is an organ. And it is an organ that throws absolutely everything at the wall. And I love how insane and, like, ridiculous this part of the song is. Like, this isn't even the last part of the boss fight. This plays in the third section, so it's not even, like, the conclusion. Um, and then it goes back to the chanting again, which is the last part of the boss fight so it's like this fight has reached kind of this being has reached perfection and it's gone back to that holy chanting of like build, bringing it up again and building it up again so yeah it's it goes places this song
1: I, I actually use that exact phrase in my notes <laughs> <laughs> There's a very clear progression and it's so yeah the way she builds that organ into everything to have that one section just be completely off the charts epic it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And and it's so easy. Like I was thinking about the different pieces of this song and how easy it would be for many of them to sound cheesy on their own. Like that chanting sample. I know I've heard it in other games and it's been kind of jarring. Yeah. <laughs> or the organ. You know, if you just threw, threw that out there out of nowhere, like that could also seem a little bit cheesy, but it all just works really well.
2: I think so too. I'm really glad because I was worried this would be a bit like all over the place but I've got a real affection for this
0: yeah this song is like I, I know there are other songs on here like I think there's one called Urban Noise and such yes. this is this is the most um, this is the most grimy this is the most horror based um, soundtrack I think that has ever done I haven't listened to everything has done but this definitely sounds like it and It's interesting that I think a lot of the staff for Parasite Eve were working in the States at the time. And I know this OST and the music for it was recorded in L.A. And I think I had read some interview a while ago about how Shimomura was going to kind of clubs and seeing the nightlife. And that influenced how she wrote Parasite Eve to be this kind of abstract, cool as opposed to other soundtracks she was working on at the time or that she would work on later, you know, Kingdom Hearts, FF15. Mm-hmm. And I love Shimomura's diversity of sound because like she did this and then just like months, like months later or a year later, she did Legend of Mana, <laughs> which yeah is so, is so far from this. I mean, both of them are still brilliant, but it is so far from this, it would absolutely make your head spin. That out that soundtrack is so earthen and this one is so alien. Yeah.
1: It's there's a little bit of like whimsy and it's a little fantastical. Yeah. Very different from this. This is this is urban and kind of grounded and horror. And I think that's also worth mentioning because a lot of notable composers for horror games, you know, it came out of those early yeah. groups of women. Yeah. And a lot of there are a lot of Female composers
0: working in horror, specifically. It's a lot of horror to be a woman in this world. <laughs> there <That> sure is. <laughs> like, they don't, ha- they don't have, you know, men don't have a monopoly on that. So. <laughs> we know
1: horror, okay? No. Yeah. <laughs> um. oh. Let's see. Joking aside, other interesting and notable facts about Shima Moro that are worth talking about is uh, she's one of the female composers that, you know, she really made it big, and she ended up leaving Square Enix, and she basically freelances. She has her own company, but she's continued to collaborate with Square, so that's that's pretty neat. And another note about her beginnings, she studied piano, if I'm not mistaken. It was the Osaka College of Music, and right out of that experience, she was recruited, and a lot of, you know, those people who were close to her at the time, it's kind of reported they were concerned about her going to the game industry because it wasn't very highly respected as far as music went at the time.
0: I think it's fantastic that it wasn't highly respected at the time, and, you know, and it's still working towards uh, a greater place of respect. But she's one of the principal reasons in you know, the past oh, 30 years at this point why it's becoming more respected.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Um, I've actually seen Shimomura play piano live. (laughs) It's quite amazing. She played at... There was a... um, Me and my partner at the time won a competition to go and see... um, I get a snippet of the Final Fantasy XV soundtrack before it came out at Abbey Road in London. And she played Noctis' theme for the very first time. Why did
1: I not know this? That's so cool.
2: There's a, I think it's on the old site, and we're on the process of moving it over. But there is a... I did do a write-up for it for a Fabula Nova... anniversaries or whatever it was called our 30th anniversary <laughs> sorry mike um the 30th anniversary feature for final fantasy uh, it was a really incredible experience and she she doesn't play live a lot but it was really amazing to see so yeah um and on that topic of like video game music not being highly regarded yeah i still find it weird that like that's the thing because like even back as far as um the late 80s and the early 90s you know final fantasy was getting like arrange orchestra albums and yet there were still mm-hmm. people out there going no this is not respected and that still is kind of like it was better now and it's still tossed around today even though things like journey have been up for i know the grammys and not the be all and end all but like it's it's kind of a big thing when something like that gets the recognition like that so
3: yeah
1: yeah and that's becoming more and more frequent it's gaining respect as a as a medium and she's been a huge contributor to that for sure Definitely else. Awesome. All right. We feel ready to move on to our next block of music.
0: Let's do it. If we must. If we have to move on from <laughs> Shimomura, mm. I suppose.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's a tough act to follow, but we've got a lot of fantastic composers here today. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: All right. So we have Eva's next track and then one from me. So I'll let Eva introduce hers.
0: Yeah, so this track is Mutant Species 1 by Sari Kobayashi, which is from the Resurrection Panzer Dragoon 20th Anniversary CD.
1: Oh, that's going to be a fun one. Yes, I love this. <laughs> that's that's a good album.
0: It's so good. Ugh.
1: My contribution is going to be Endings and Beginnings, and that's by Yoshino Aoki, and that is from a little more classic with Breath of Fire 4. All right. And we're back. So um, just a little bit of background on Mutant Species One. So this is a Kobayashi track. She worked for Sega generally and her, her a lot of her early credits, and this is kind of fun, include cartoon games and a little bit of Sonic. Um, but she's most famous for this game, the Panzer Dragoon series. So I'll let you take it away.
0: So this, so this track is a, a new take from 2018 on um, a track called Mutated Species 1 from the original Panzer Dragoon Saga. And that track was originally like not even two minutes long. And this one is three minutes and 30 seconds about. So it's almost twice as long as it originally was. And I think the original is already brilliant. Um, but giving it that space and this length just makes it hit so much more. It gives it so much more room to breathe, and it's brilliant. It's so good. It has this opening synth that mm-hmm. it, it sounds. To me, it sounds like a like a Moog modular, like <laughs> late '70s, early '80s, Giorgio Moroder, Italo disco stuff, and then it has these these kind of. Glitzy, pretty slides that to me sound like Chicago house music. Which, you know, being you know person from Chicago, I I dig that. I appreciate that a lot.
1: Glitzy is a good word for those. Yeah,
0: I, lo- I love that word. <laughs> um, it's but it has this. It somehow all comes together with these really heavy percussive elements too, to get this really otherworldly spell that kind of goes all over the soundtrack for Panzer Dragoon Saga a game which I've never played because if you're listening to this you probably know why (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's interesting as kind of a as kind of a, a touchstone that this soundtrack the original soundtrack and Parasite Eve were released like two months apart from each other and just how they take some similar elements and the different places they go with them.
1: Yeah, the different overall tone. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they branch out and, you know, like with Shimura's uh, soundtracks, they're going in different directions. But I think these have more similar instrumental cores to them.
3: Yeah.
1: And if there's one thing I associate with Kobayashi's music, that percussive element is definitely part of it. It's on the short list of things kind of her signature, I think, just mm-hmm. the way she uses different types of percussion and layers things and creates that thread with it throughout the soundtrack. It's just so good.
2: Oh Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I mean, the original uses a lot more, like, no, they are obviously not going to be no actual drums, but it definitely uses a more of a drum beat, whereas this uses a bass and a that synth rhythm in it that really, like Eva said, um, otherworldly is the key word I picked out because... I might be one of the few people who have played Panzer Dragoon Saga, um, but
0: like, you jerk.
2: <laughs> I don't. Yeah, but I don't own a copy of it anymore. I'd be minted if I did. <laughs> that would be great. Um, but um, yeah, it is otherworldly. Is a really great way to describe it, and I think both versions of the track capture that so differently. Like, I think the original in the game actually sounds very mythical and ancient, like an ancient history that. Which is appropriate, um, that's hidden away from everybody else with ancient technology. Whereas this is like that technology is awoken and these strange creatures are around flying. And actually, my favorite parts of the track and my favorite thing when people rearrange their own music or add to it is when they add, like, you know, for this it's a piece of music that's a piece of combat music. So you're riding a dragon for most of the game. And in this version of the track, you can hear the swooshing of, like, dragon wings or, like, these mutant creatures' wings, like, swooping in. And I'm glad you pointed out that it is a longer version. Like, it's not stretched out, but it's an extended version of the song. And it gets time to breathe, because I love the longer opening. I love how it slowly builds up. And it has that swooshing in the background that makes you think, oh, you're diving into combat, which is literally what you do most of the time in Pounds um, and Dragon's Saga, so I think it captures that really well, and Kobayashi's great, Kobayashi's one of my favourite composers she just she's just brilliant at building percussive is one of my favourite things about, like, I really love um, songs with heavy percussive like, style to them, so yeah, the fact that it's like her key signature is like, well, she's gonna win every time with me
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that context from the gameplay is i love hearing about that how you describe the flapping of the wings and everything and literally you know diving into combat that's that's amazing to just think about and envision and it probably points to this idea that a lot of us have about uh panzer Dragoon saga now that it's like it's greater as a memory than as an (laughs) actual game or what we envision it to be um (laughs) because it's because it's mythical it's like it's like its game itself it's mythical (laughs) and kobayashi is a brilliant composer completely unique just iconoclastic in a way like quietly (laughs) and i brought this on instead of um something like she also made the music for another dragon riding game called crimson dragon (laughs) on the xbox one i believe Um, Which is apparently not a great game, but the soundtrack is just about as good as this one. It's really really something special, has familiar elements, but just is a testament to what a brilliant composer she is.
1: And this is actually a, a little bit unintentional, but also kind of great that in this middle block we have two composers that are dragon experts <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> going right. from Kobayashi to Breath of Fire. <laughs> dragon queens, a couple of Khaleesi's. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so I guess if you all are ready, we can talk about Breath
0: of Fire. Please. I love that. Yeah. What's up with it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a little bit of background on Elki. She's a Camcom alum as well, and also another female composer who has she co-founded a company called Unique Note with one of her colleagues from Capcom. And she's done some recent work for Konami as well. And she's a pretty well-known singer, which is interesting. Um, She did some early work for the Mega Man series. And she sang the vocals for the song that's commonly thought of to be Roll's like theme song. So that's kind of neat she, that she's literally Aww. the voice of an iconic character. Aww. Yeah, in a, in a way. <laughs> And um, just to make some connections between her and some of our other group members, uh, she's worked with Shimamura on Luminous Arc 2. Oh. And she also did some work on Final Fantasy Record Keeper. Oh, did she? So, yeah. Oh, my God. And she sang on it, actually, from one of the Final Fantasy 6 tracks. So. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. Was it the alt pro? all,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, so it all fits together. It all comes together. And I picked this particular song because it's it's a pretty well-known theme throughout the soundtrack, but it's just kind of so beautiful. The instrumentation, I think, is really like one of the main reasons that I picked this particular track. It's because it's wistful. It's one of the tracks near the ending of the soundtrack. And just the way it comes in with kind of the wind sound, like the wind instrument sound and it built. It's, it's just fantastic.
2: Right, yeah. This is from what I know or I remember, I have played Breath of Fire 4 fairly recently. I believe it's the main theme. And mm-hmm. I believe that... I don't remember the exact name of the uh, song. I think it's called Truth and Dreams. That is also an arrangement of this, which is a much more yep. like bouncier yep. version of it, which is more of a synth keyboard than anything else. Um, but yeah, the wind instrument is like the standout for me in this piece. Uh, this the, the two scenes I remember this playing in specifically are... There's a bit where Ryu and uh, Nina are sitting by the dam with one of the dragons and it plays as they're talking with each other and it also plays, like you said, towards the end of the soundtrack and also the end of the game once you've beaten mm-hmm. the final boss and it feels like history is culminating and these two um, like two sides of the same coin are kind of faced off against each other and they're accepting their fate and this is thousands and thousands of years of history coming together in a wistful reflective very beautiful piece and it also captures like both sides of the breath of fire Four world really well because the world is split into an east and a west like so many japanese Mm -hmm. at the time were so the east in this case i believe is more of like the medieval or european side and the west is the more asian influenced and i think this piece captures both of those cultures coming together and their shared history with these two main, the two main characters, because you play as the hero and the villain at different times, it captures it so well, and it feels so, it feels so rich. Like it could be like the song of a nation, I suppose. That's how I've always felt it to be.
1: Yeah, it really has those kind of like main theme of a very important story kind of chops to it. Yeah, I, think I feel.
2: So. Yeah, definitely. I think so. It's really good. It's one of my favorite pieces on the soundtrack.
0: I I love hearing that context for it because I've never played this game before and so I knew very little about it besides the fact that today's also the 20th anniversary of its release in Yay. North America oh, as yes. we record Wild um, I love the column response that it feels like it mm-hmm. has because it keeps trading off between these lead elements and it, it sounds like a conversation mm-hmm. in it sounds like a conversation while also being... Uh, a sort of a battle you know an argument and there's like a slight antithesis that happens with each with each line that comes in and then sometimes old ideas and old leads are brought back up again like you're re-tearing you're tearing open old wounds again and so when I was hearing this it's it's a powerful track but it's it has these tender elements to it and when I was hearing it, I was thinking, it sounds like this was after some great battle. This is kind yeah. of the fallout from it. So I, I'm glad that uh, that has been validated <laughs> by... Yeah. By, uh, yeah, because now I sound smart now. <laughs> <laughs> you are smart. But, That's um, such a lovely thing to pull yeah. from just exactly. listening.
2: That's, like, such a really good thing to pull out of um, listening to it because, yeah, like, it is two characters coming to head at the end of this game, and it's, like actually the flute is Ryu and then like the conversational pieces are Folu um, pushing against Ryu and then there's just this tussling between them like the whole game is essentially them coming to terms with what they've got to do and like Ryu is trying to save the world and Folu is trying to reclaim the world or like find what he's supposed to do so it's such a, Mm. I'm so glad that you managed to like pull that out from just that one theme because I think that embodies Breath of Fire 4 perfectly
1: and I think that speaks to the, you know, the talent involved like, with the music. It does. It fits so well. And there is sort of like, I think I had in my notes kind of like a yin yang to it. Like they're they're separate and full elements in themselves, but there's that call and response, and they they interplay. While there's a little bit of push, but they kind of come together into this like whole piece. And it's really good.
0: Yeah, beautiful choice. I am very glad you brought this because now I really want to play Breath of Fire Four and. Before this morning, I really had no feelings one way or another about
1: it. That's what this um, show's for. (laughs) Excellent. Let's introduce our last two. We've got one from Alana and then my last one.
2: Yeah. So my next pick is from the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild soundtrack. Uh, It is the Riding theme, but it's the night version of the Riding theme. And this is an arrangement of a piece um, from previous Zelda games. That uh, this is arranged by Manaka
1: Katolka. Excellent. And I brought a piece from Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Depending on which version of this song you're listening to, or what how it's been translated, it is either "Starry Moonlit Night" or "Moonless Starry Night." Um, but this is the arranged version from the end of the original soundtrack album. It's a very pretty vocal piece. I'm excited to have a vocal piece. Yeah, we got two vocal pieces. Does the first song in our sequence that was the nighttime writing theme breath of the wild and that was by kataoka as alana mentioned um she's part of the nintendo sound team and i'll let alana take it away
2: oh yeah so um kataoka in particular has worked on um a few nintendo games she worked on we fit and animal crossing before um her first older game though is a spirit tracks which is one of the ds games i think so she's already fairly familiar with like the nintendo over um of music but like even like preparing this and picking it i knew like breath of the world was something i wanted to pick because i think because of zelda's history and obviously koji kondo's music is so iconic and like even this piece is an arranged version of the hyrule field although it's although it's only a tiny little bit of it that plays like i think at 44 seconds in roughly like so many people assume that zelda is just male comp- poses the whole way through and kataoka is like proof of that not being the case um nintendo in a whole are not fantastic with their like music preservation and crediting a lot of their artists because other than things like mario and luigi superstar saga which we all know that Shimaura did um, and we know that um yuka sujioki and soyaoka have worked on various nintendo games like super mario kart and Sujiyoki has worked on uh, Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door, but you can't credit them to individual tracks because those soundtracks have never been released. So it's really difficult to give them the proper like celebration that they deserve because Nintendo haven't really given them that space. And I always, I'm always a little bit frustrated with that. In general, companies should always try and credit their artists individually. And we know from streaming services and things like that, that that is not always the case. So I think maybe do better
1: <laughs> um very true and and the general trend has been more toward those you know individual credits and noting all the contributors on collaborations the trend has been in that direction so
2: right exactly would be good yeah but bringing it back to breath of the wild a <laughs> lot of criticism was leveled at breath of the wild soundtrack at time of release by it, many of the fans because it was very understated but really i don't think it could have been anything else like Catalaka not only she does she's not the sole composer on the soundtrack but she is the lead composer and she does a good third of that soundtrack which is I think five or six discs long it's it's huge
1: a lot of, yeah big work
2: yeah um and riding night is such a really light this like it's a demonstration of a lot of her music on this soundtrack um a lot of it has such a light touch to it which I think works perfectly and a lot of the time you get um nighttime music in games that's very understated, very mystical and very ethereal and you get a little bit of that but really this just kind of captures like a, a bit of a frolic at night on Epona, or I don't know if you're me, you might want to capture a bear and ride it around Hyrule Field maybe.
1: <laughs> there are many options, <laughs> so good.
2: But yeah, I, there's only two, three instruments in this track, like the lead is the piano, mm-hmm. which is you can literally attribute it to a horse riding across a field and you've got at the 44 seconds mark like I said there's the Hyrule field theme that briefly comes in and that feels like because Breath of the Wild's Hyrule is a post-apocalypse that like little moment that the old Hyrule theme gets is like the echo of the old Hyrule coming through in the music and in the landscape like this place is all in ruins. It's beautiful, but there's still that hint of history there.
1: Yeah, you 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 can just picture coming across something as you're riding along, like maybe a, the remains of a building or like something that kind of calls back to Hyrule as it was before. Right. So good.
2: Yeah, no, it's really lovely. Um, And then it sort of slows down towards the end. I mean, it's just under two minutes, this track um, piece. And um, like it sort of slows down as you get off the horse. And I think... I think the like it's it's such a good representation of Breath of the Wild's music because there's a lot of dramatic battle tracks and even then they don't use a huge range of in- instruments. But I really don't think they need to because I think ultimately Breath of the Wild is it's a bit of escapism, but it's also you know like I've said it's post-apocalyptic. Like this is a world in ruin, but it's been laying dormant and peaceful for what, a hundred years, a thousand years? I can't remember the time span specifically, but it's it's untouched. It's it's pure and untouched as much as there is giant guardians running around and ruins everywhere. And I think Katawaka's work really captures that beautifully. And I think this is a really lovely example of that.
1: Yeah, I think a light touch is a good explanation for it because um, you're right, especially on this track, there are a few instruments and you can almost kind of imagine... Different ones having different roles. Like I I wrote down that kind of the low piano chords are like bumping along on the horse as it's running, and some of the high twinkly chords could be, you know, when you look up at the sky. And I think a lot of the soundtrack really draws from that kind of ambient feel and using the music to kind of enhance the environment and the natural world of this Hyrule that's, you know, been untouched and for such a long time and is very much kind of just a natural landscape
0: largely. Yeah, I think as as y'all have brought up with just how vast this like this expanse of Hyrule is, the music suits that so perfectly because it's kind of giving you as much space as possible to create that world yourself and to <laughs> explore that world and when you have a minimal soundtrack like this it's never overwhelming you and it kind of is it's kind of your primary support for your imagination to just kind of run wild. Um, Pun not intended, God. (laughs) Um, But it's, in a lot of Zelda games, the music is just propelling you forward. It's part of, it's practically part of the narrative. You're riding across this field and it feels like it's the wind at your back. And this kind of feels like it's an accent. To a lot of what's occurring around you, and I think that fits this game so much better than if there was a traditional Zelda soundtrack. So I get some of the you know old heads being <laughs> upset, you know that they that they're not hearing you know Gerudo Valley for the fifth time or something. Um, maybe I'm being a bit maybe I'm being a bit spicy about that, but <laughs> but um, I, I think they can they can be mad about it because this is brilliant. It's, it's there's something
1: to be. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said, like traditionally Zelda games are, you know, kind of standard adventures. You want to be motivated, you want that wind at your back to propel you through all those temples. (laughs) Um, But Breath of the Wild is so much more about exploring, and I think, yeah, she nailed it.
2: (laughs) She did, yeah. The music's so dynamic in that game as well, like it shifts and changes depending Mm -hmm. on the situation, like you've got the divine beast music which change with every god how do they how they piece together like every bit you unlock or every new thing you drop in like the dungeon shifts and it changes the music with it and like this ever-shifting landscape and the, the music captures so perfectly is it's so it's so perfect and i think katawaka like having composed for animal crossing where you have to have like day themes for the rain and for the evening and things like that like it's funny to compare the two pieces, like the two games' music together, but I think that probably fed into it a little bit,
3: like.
1: I I, yeah, in a way, you can kind of look at that as like helping contribute toward her ability to make a dynamic, changing Hyrule. Yeah, well, excellent. Yeah, I that is such
0: a fun song. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for bringing that. Yes, oh, thank you. I'm glad I brought beautiful. It. <laughs> So for this next
1: one, it's also, you know, night themed, which is fun, but it's a little bit more kind of your traditional fantastical fantasy kind of sound. So Moonless Story Night was composed by Kumi Uh She generally does keyboard and piano. Uh, she's another composer who started by studying piano and was going to perform piano. But she has a kind of fun story where she had a brother who played a lot of games and Video games were actually a large part of her growing up, so she kind of got to fulfill her dream and start working on games. So she's worked with a lot of the greats from Final Fantasy. Um, she's done some work on the Chocobo's Dungeon Games, which, if you've heard the Crystal Chronicles soundtrack, you can kind of see how those two are similar. And she also contributed a little bit to Final Fantasy XI. She helped form the band The, uh, the Star Onions, who so it's it's a bunch of game composers who play music from Final Fantasy Eleven. The
2: Star Onions. Yeah. That's amazing. It's a nice like group of games to have composed for as well, because actually they all they don't they do sort of have similar soundscapes. Like the acoustic guitar is like the main standard of those like they're all folksy music. That's like a key feature in mm-hmm. all of those games. So it's a nice thread for that.
1: Yeah, they all have that kind of rustic sound is kinda of how I I think of it and like hear it described a lot in She's She herself has said a lot about how she likes combining and using different world instruments to see how they sound together. So she's a very interesting composer to listen to. And I picked this particular song, even though it's an arrangement, just because I, I love the way it comes together. You can you can see how the vocals come together with all the different instruments, so kind, of, kind of some of those folksy instruments and kind of the like quarrel, sing-along at the end, the sing-along part.
0: So I'd never heard this song before. I've never played any of the Crystal Chronicles games or Crystal Bears, any any of the Crystal things, really. <laughs> <laughs> and this song goes places. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most surprising songs I've heard in a while because, you know, once one change occurs, you're just not prepared for where it keeps going and how it keeps building you know, around the 230 mark, there's sort of, there's a bit of psychedelia that happens. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of blows wide open a minute later, and just kind of vamps on that until it speeds up towards the end. It's a, it's really unexpected, but not, it's not jarring. And it's just surprising in this really beautiful way. You know, when I was hearing it, I was feeling kind of this euphoria that I felt in another um, Final Fantasy property, which was when I stumbled on the Azim step in Final Fantasy XIV uh, Stormblood, ah, and there's this—that's a flattering um,
1: comparison.
0: I yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I—I I mean, I'm big—I'm big on Stormblood now, so it's—it's <laughs> um, it's just something wholly unexpected. It's a breath of fresh air, uh, and uh, and I I loved it. I was not i was not prepared for what it would do but i was very glad um i had listened to it by the end
2: yeah it's it goes through so many different motions doesn't it like i started thinking it was i have played crystal chronicles um i didn't quite beat it but i had heard the credits music before and there are various different versions of it like i think the one that plays in game doesn't have this last like minute and a half Mm -hmm. where you know the chanting comes in and it turns into like vocal practice and the drum, the, I think they're timpani drums. I don't know. Um, it and the guitar that come in in that last like minute, it makes it t- it turns like the music into a big celebration, and it feels like a campfire dance. Like it, f- yep. it feels like they would all get up, get together, start practicing their vocals, and start dancing and singing. But
1: yeah, yeah, everyone's having a big camp out and they all want to sing. <laughs> it's kind of what I picture.
2: But yeah, it's that m- bit in the middle that either said the bit that goes to Psychedelica that really stood out to me because like the first part, I was like this is very calming and meditative and i think the english vocals um or the english translation of the lyrics because this is i believe the japanese version we've got on the um on the Mm -hmm. episode right and um it talks about healing by nature and that's one thing i always associate with meditation you know you've got the rushing water in the background or it sounds like rushing water in the background of the track and um I just shut my eyes and listened to it, and then this weird, And then I started writing down something about fairy. I sounded like fairies were coming in to play music, and then it did this psychedelic <laughs> bit, and I was like, "Hang on, what's going on here? Like, what are the, what what are the fairies doing? All right, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Like, what what fa- what is fairy dust, and what is it doing to me? Kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, this like it starts off very like like I've said, Crystal Chronicles music is very folksy and very gentle and very let's go and dig around and explore kind of thing there's something very whimsical about it and this is whimsical but it definitely goes a lot of different places and it's it's a fun piece of music to listen to
1: it really is and honestly i i would say that about the whole crystal chronicle soundtrack it's unlike anything else that you'll hear in the final fantasy oeuvre Um, and it's a shame that it doesn't it doesn't get a lot of attention in the Final Fantasy Arrange albums or concert series and, and stuff like that. It's kind of been underplayed, I feel.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, uh, there's a small selection in theatre rhythm, Curtain Call. Um, mm-hmm. And even yep. some from uh, My Life as a King, I think, or as one of the like one of the Crystal Bearers it might be from. There's one or two. Oh, right. Yeah, um, there's a couple from there. But yeah, generally this like, sub-series is largely ignored musically and I wish it was um, like I've not heard any of the remastered soundtrack. Actually, I should really dig that out and.
1: I need to look into that
0: too. Yeah. Well, some of it is uh, like trapped on We Wear, right?
2: Like yeah, Crystal
0: Bears or something like that, or My Life as a King.
2: Yeah, one. I think a lot. My Life as a King might be the wee Wear one. Yeah. It's just wow. a shame.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and another fun fact about her is, I mean, she's a, a well regarded concert pianist. And if I'm not mistaken, she's one of the performers in the recent Chrono Orchestral box set. Um, she performed on Girl Who Stole the Stars. Oh, yes.
0: Gonna start crying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. right? So
1: that, that performance is just amazing. So I want to shout her out as being a great performer, too. Awesome.
0: I, I am like tearing up just hearing that just because that's one of my favorite songs and I'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> like... yeah
1: it is yeah it's so good beautiful <laughs> so well we have been through several different areas of music different composers we've gotten a good taste of what there is to offer so I'll just give the opportunity if either of you have any final thoughts any any other composers you'd like to mention or add for people to check out? Anything like that. And then we'll get into housekeeping in our bonus track.
2: Um, I guess the biggest one, I guess this might be a hint. Um, the one we haven't mentioned is Michiri Yamane and Kinyo Yamashita, who both worked on early Castlevania games or Michiri Yamane worked on all of mm-hmm. the Castlevania games from most of the Castlevania games from Bloodlines onwards and I also want to give a shout out to Manami Kiyota, um, who worked on the Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2 soundtrack and she works on some of the um, the Overworld themes in particular Tall Marsh and There's another one on the Xenoblade 2 one that she worked on. She worked on a number of the other world themes, and they're all really excellent. And a lot of the incidental cutscene music as well. So she's one of my favorite female composers working in the industry today. Um, She's been working with Nintendo for a while. And the name of the Mega Man composer that I did not name at the beginning is Minami Matsumai.
0: Excellent. Yeah, and I'd I'd probably like to shout out Sarah Shackner, who (laughs) is Mm -hmm. like, you know, who's been working on. A lot of AAA games, like working on Assassin's Creed, uh, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I've been listening to the soundtrack for that as I was playing that. I think she's worked on Call of Duty games, but as you can mm-hmm. probably tell, I've not played them. So, um...
1: Didn't she also do Anthem, which I think is something we covered? I oh, believe so, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right
0: about that. Yeah, So,
1: good, I was going to shout her out if you didn't, because she has done several things in our coverage. And yeah, talk about someone who, I mean, she's been on some... Serious, you know, AAA releases, so
0: yeah, and her music for Assassin's Creed Valhalla is uh brilliant. I'm it's really um, it's really striking, and and would highly recommend listening to that. Would I recommend playing to the game? That's a conversation for another day, but <laughs> uh, but at least the soundtrack is brilliant. Aww.
2: Great, I'll have to check it out. I have one, I have a couple more I've just suddenly remembered. <laughs> Go for it. Um, so Laura Shigihara is someone we definitely should give mm-hmm. a shout-out to. Uh to the moon being her biggest. She did do Plants and Zombies as well, but to the moon for our coverage. Uh, she also produced and made and composed for Rakuen, and she does the ending scene for delta rune as well. And another one who is mostly known as an anime composer who I'm sure most people if you if you like Cowboy Bebop you know who I'm going to mention uh, Yoko Kanno um, who uh-huh. did the music mm-hmm. for Nobunaga's Ambition and Ragnarok 2 Ragnarok Online yes. 2 so yeah she's also highly prolific in the video game industry and I think her game soundtracks are not as well known as the brilliant soundtrack to Cowboy Bebop but um,
1: yeah and now I get to brag because she is the one that I haven't seen perform no oh no Yes. It was so good. Oh. It was it, she was I don't even know how to describe it. She was doing a lot of her like it was mostly her more famous anime work, but the stage was just so dark and it and it didn't even phase her and she had all these light effects. It was amazing that she was playing her complex, beautiful music in the dark and I still think about it today. Oh,
2: sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> this is just the Jealousy podcast. <laughs> yes. Just, like I hear these two concerts and I'm like
1: Let's see. I'll take this opportunity to say there are several composers doing great work out there. I encourage everyone to, you know, take a look. If there's a game you really like, see all the different artists that, that contributed and wrote music for it. There are several we didn't get to. Our selections were definitely shaped by, you know, our tasting games and what's usually in our coverage, most likely. And the last shout out, I would like to give is yuki Kajura mm-hmm. for dot hack she's also done some xeno music as well that is really good yeah there's a lot out there it's been great so i'll move right into housekeeping i think from here <laughs> coming next on rhythm we're gonna have a winter episode which should be very cozy and exciting um, and we're also going to have an episode covering music that came out during the time Rhythm Encounter was on hiatus. So that should also be very interesting. If you have feedback, if you want to get in touch with us, comments on the podcast, you can email at music at rpgfan.com. And just a reminder again, track list from this episode and some you know, further reading if you're interested in some of the history or some of the composers we mentioned today, that will also be on our website. So it's all on rpgfan.com. Uh, if you want to investigate more uh, also reviews help us out a lot you can review us on apple Podcasts, google subscriptions and reviews help us a lot you know feedback is good and as far as contacting us individually again i'm hillary the best way to reach me is probably discord i'm ep fire on the RPVG fan discord and eva how about you
0: you can find me on RPG fans' general social media accounts, mostly Facebook and Twitter. You can find me on my personals, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord as at Eva Lease. Awesome.
1: How about you, Alana? Uh,
2: my personal Twitter is probably the best place. I am at Alana Hayes on there. Um, or if you do want to find me on the RPG fan Discord, I am just at Alana there.
1: Great. It's been wonderful today, gushing and being jealous, and you know all the the, the roller coaster ride that we've been on.
0: Love being jealous. <laughs> great, <laughs> great time.
1: <laughs> right, but I mean, I think it's pretty clear that you know this this music and these composers mean a lot to us, and we're here to celebrate them and give them some notoriety. So, thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having us. It was great. And yeah, I think Alana has our bonus track. So when you're ready, Alana, go ahead and introduce us. I'm excited to hear what it is.
2: I do, yeah. And I may have hinted at it earlier with um, Yamane and Kinyo, but they're both prolific composers at Konami. And one of the before we before we recorded this, um, Hillary asked us like, okay, who do you want to bring up? Who do you definitely want to bring up on this episode? And like normally it would be somebody like Mitsuri Yamane because I love Castlevania. But my first, the first name I gave was a comp- another composer at Konami called Miki Higashino. And she worked with them until the early 2000s. Um, I don't think she's currently working in the industry anymore, um, but she is most famous. She worked on the Gradius games, but she's probably most famous for composing the music to the first Suikoden games, uh, Suicoden 1 and Suikoden 2. And also the two uh, Gensou Suikoden, uh, Guiding games um, that we didn't get over here. And I think in a similar way to Breath of Fire, what captures me and what like enthrals me about the music of these games is the culture and the history that she manages to capture through her um, compositions and her music. But she also has this real weight and some of the music manages to carry this kind of like the pain and the trauma of war and battle and the damage it can cause to communities. But some of my favorite pieces on the soundtrack are very reflective and bittersweet. And you both know this. I tussled with like bringing a arranged version or an original version, mm-hmm. and I eventually settled on an arranged version because there was one piece of music I kept going back to as I was re-listening and re-listening to the music, and it's not actually on the original soundtrack of uh, Sweet and Two. Um, it's the credits music, funnily enough. So we've got two pieces of credit music back to back. Uh, so this is from a very recent album, which has been at my rotation for a while, called The Symphonic Tale, The Rune of Beginning. And it's performed by the Budapest Symphony Orchestra and arranged and conducted by Kentaro Sato. And the piece of music I've picked is called Epilogue 108 Stars of Destiny, which I believe is... An arrangement of something called heartwarming bgm 3 off the original soundtrack um (laughs) (laughs) and it plays during the end credits of suikoden 2 when you're getting summaries of all the characters and what they've gone to do and everything and i think my favorite pieces of music always have this very it's a warm piece of music but it's bittersweet and if you've played suikoden 2 you probably know why it's bittersweet and so much of that music is so reflective on the main characters but also like it's like hazy summer days but also a sense that things will never be the same again and i think this arrangement in particular really it it really brings out the best in higashino's composition And i don't want it to be like i don't want people to think i've picked the arranged version over the original because i think it's better i think it just really brings out higashino's talent so wonderfully and i also just think it's a really beautiful piece of music and it just makes me cry so Why not make everybody else cry? Why not? You know, we've had to go through so much to get here, so (laughs) why not? So, yeah. I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah, so.
0: I'm uh, ready for tears, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Epilogue 108 Stars of Destiny, uh, originally composed by Miki Higashino and arranged by Kentaro Sato and performed by the Budapest Symphony Orchestra.
0: Yeah, that's very frustrating. Very, but you know, it's all—it's all just Nintendo. Like, I'm Nintendo. You're Nintendo. <laughs> the people who work at Nintendo are Nintendo. Like, who needs credits, really? It's fine. Exactly. Like we f- get. <laughs> who cares? Are we
1: saying Nintendo is the is the, the Borg of entertainment companies? <laughs> <laughs>